Well, I'm excited this morning to be back in the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And we had a pretty long break from Romans as we took uh, several weeks to look at the, the uh, life of Jesus, the last week of his life as we went through Palm Sunday and Easter services and all of that. So we've had a little bit of a break. And so just to remind you, we have seen so far in the book of Romans that every person, whether they are Jew or Gentile, stands condemned because there is no one who is righteous. That the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, as Paul says in chapter 1, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So everybody in the world has a problem. That the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind because of their sin. Regardless of the fact that you might be a good moral person or you might be able to show other people your righteousness by the deeds that you do publicly, everyone has this problem. And yet, Paul says that there is another way of righteousness, a way of righteousness that actually the Old Testament foreshadowed and and pointed to. And it's a way of righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So like Abraham and David, when we trust in the promises of God that he has made through Jesus Christ, our faith is counted as righteousness. And that's not because our faith is a work that we do or because we are somehow worthy through our faith, but because God loves to show his glory by keeping his promises to the people who take refuge in him. And so by trusting in God and in his provision of grace through Jesus Christ, we are showing forth God's mercy and his glory in trusting in him. And so the last time we looked at the book of Romans, we looked at Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. And in that we saw this famous verse that I told you you need to memorize, you need to set to memory, which is Romans chapter 5 Verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we have been justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That through faith, we have peace with God. God was wrathful towards us because of our sin and because of our ungodliness. But in Jesus and through faith in Him, we now are at peace with God. Now that peace doesn't come, like I said, through worthiness uh, or our good works, but as Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 5, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That we deserved God's wrath, but because of God's grace, He sent His Son at the very right time to pay for our sins. So all those truths are very accessible, and most Christians understand this. This is the kind of the core of the gospel message that we were sinners. We deserve God's judgment, but God in His mercy and His grace sent Jesus to die for our sins and to rise again for our justification. We all, I think everybody in this room probably gets that because we've all been to VBS and Sunday school and all that good stuff. We've got that drilled in our head and rightfully so. But starting with these verses that we're about to read today, we are going into weightier issues in the book of Romans. In fact, this is, we are starting today and progressing. It's kind of like 
going into the shallow end of the pool and then you know there's that slope in any pool where it starts to get deeper and deeper and deeper until finally it just boom you know and you're in the deep end you can't step off anymore except with these truths that we're going to work through through chapter 11 of romans uh, there's no there's no bottom to the deep end okay this is as deep stuff as we can have and we're going to cover some very serious doctrines some things that Quite honestly, it's going to require you to put your thinking cap on, okay? And Paul is going to teach us some things about the gospel that aren't so basic. And the reason I want to point that out is it it takes some work. We're going to have to think about the Old Testament and how Jesus' death connects to the Old Testament and the New Testament and what he's doing, why it matters. And really what we're getting to... And what we want to understand is the why of the gospel. Why does the gospel work? And for example, there are two very important questions that I want to ask and answer today that Paul gets to in, the, in, this ver- in these verses. First, why is it that we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God by reforming our lives through the law. So we might say, okay, I get it, Paul. There's this way of righteousness that comes through faith. I understand that we can, uh, we can accept Jesus and we can follow after him and we can receive God's grace and all that. But you know what? I really don't understand why I can't do a 12-step program or uh, you know, get a self-help book and why I can't make myself acceptable before God. If we hear the law and we say, you know, I'm just going to try really hard, why are we still condemned? Second, how can it be that one man's sacrifice, one man's life, can cover the sins of those who trust in him? How can it be that one man's death can cover the sins of those who trust in him? In other words... What does Jesus' life and death have to do with my sins? Shouldn't I be the one that has to bear my own sins? And how can someone else die for me? So to answer those questions, we need to read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So follow along with me as I read Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. God's word says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we understand your word, as we seek to divide this word of truth rightly, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand. Lord, some of the concepts that are in this passage are sort of foreign to our Western mind as we have grown up in, 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 a, in a culture that doesn't think like this. And Lord, I pray that we would understand it as you would have us to so that we can understand why the gospel matters. Pray that you would bless me and give me the words to say, give me the strength that I might speak in a way that would encourage and build up. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So from this passage, I want you to see two points this morning. First of all, I want you to see the display of kingship. And secondly, I want you to see the differences in trespass and free and, and a gift. The differences in a trespass and a gift. So let's begin by considering the display of kingship in verses 12 through 14. So Paul begins this passage with a very important word, therefore. Now, I know it's kind of cliche and y'all have heard this before, but any good Bible student, if you're reading a book of the Bible or you're reading a passage and you see the word therefore, you need to ask what? Anybody remember this? What is it there for? Why is the therefore there? What are we try, What is it referring back to? Well, this therefore harkens back to verse 10, where Paul says that we are or, or were enemies of God, but we were reconciled through Jesus Christ. But why were we enemies of God? Why, how is it that we, some 2,000 years, 2,020 years after Jesus was born, how is it that we can be enemies of God? How is it that we who are not Jews and have no other other than the preaching of the gospel would have no idea of the law of God? How is it that we can be enemies of God? Or better yet, why would a Native American in pre-Columbian America be an enemy of God if he had never heard of Jehovah and never read the Ten Commandments? How is it that people out, so far outside of God's law, so far flung away from the promised land of Israel, how is it that they can be enemies of God? Paul answers this question in verse 12 by connecting sin and death to one man. In doing this, Paul sets up two very important doctrines that we cannot miss if we're going to fully understand the why of the gospel. So the first doctrine that we need to understand is known as federal headship. 
You can write that down if you want. It's, a, it's something that we have to know as Christians if we want to understand the why of the gospel. Federal headship. So notice that in verses 12 and 14, Paul says that all sin and all death can ultimately be traced back to one man, to the first man, Adam. There's one clear reason why all of the world has been plunged into death through Adam. Adam was established as the king over all of the human race. He was the first, but he was also the primary person in all of creation. Adam was given a command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He was given a command to have dominion over creation. And he was given a command to seek wisdom through God, not through the tree of knowledge. And when Adam failed, when he failed to do those things, God cursed everything. He cursed the family relationship so that the man and woman would, sit, would have pain and strife in their relationship. He cursed the ground. He cursed even the ground. Imagine that. You know, we all know that because we're, get, we're gardening right now and we understand what this means. But he cursed the very ground that Adam walked on as a result of his sin. And that means that everything in this world the animals, the water, the sky, the ground, everything in this world is affected by the sin of Adam. And so Adam, the ground was cursed, and so Adam could no longer enjoy the good work that God had given him in the garden, but instead he had toilsome labor. And lastly, he cursed Adam to die. And he cursed Adam to die in a very specific way that we tend to miss. We think that often that it is because Adam, God changed something anatomically in Adam that made it where he would now die. But Genesis chapter 3 notes something very important. It says that after he cursed Adam, he put an angel in front of the gate of the Garden of Eden to guard the Garden of Eden so that the man and woman could not come to the tree of life and live forever. So in Adam's curse of death, the way that God cursed him in his death was to remove his fellowship with God in the garden to separate him, himself from Adam and to allow Adam to live out his days under the curse of sin and the toil that he would be under. So now this doctrine of federal headship, let me just say, it flies in the face of our modern sensibilities. We grow up in America to believe and, to, uh, and we have this idea that's taught to us that a man can make himself into anything that he wants to be. You know, if you just put enough elbow grease into anything, you can be whatever you want to be. And uh, we believe that people are born with what we call a blank slate, with neither good nor bad written on the ledger of their lives. And they ultimately will be judged based on what they write on that blank slate. But I want to suggest that we really don't live that way. 
We really don't live that way personally, right? Because if somebody does us wrong, one of the first things we do is we'll ask, or or if somebody's acting a certain way, we might ask, what's your daddy's name? Now, what do we mean when we ask that? Well, of course, you're a skipper. You're going to act like that. Right? Don't we? Or, you know, we assume that if your last name is a certain name, that you're going to be like your daddy. Right? And in another way, we do this, and we've done this over the last probably eight weeks. I know you have, I have, the news media has. Just consider, just for a really prescient example, or a really current example, the issue with the war in Ukraine. On the one hand, every Russian is somehow implicated in the atrocities of that war because of one man, Vladimir Putin, right? I mean, just think about what we've done to affect Russia. And this is, some of this is kind of funny to me. We, uh, concerts and ballets have been canceled in Europe and in America because the performers were Russian. Sales of vodka have been banned in many states, even though only about 1% of all vodka is even made in Russia anymore. Yachts and bank accounts have been frozen because of possible connections to President Putin. Have there been any trials of any of these opera singers or dancers or oligarchs? Have we weighed the merits of each individual Russian to determine whether they deserve to be excluded from our societies and have their bank accounts frozen? No. We assumed guilt by association because at our core, we understand this principle of federal headship. This also works, interestingly and thankfully, it works the other direction. Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has been universally praised as a hero because of his leadership. His willingness to stay in Kiev has inspired his citizens and he has managed to guilt the world into supporting him in his resistance to Russia. Now everyone looks at Zelensky as the personification of the struggle for freedom. Yet even though he wears military fatigues from time to time, you will never see him carrying a gun. And he has never fired a shot or commanded a battalion in this war. And yet when he speaks, he speaks for Ukraine. He is the federal head of Ukraine. And all the wrath of of Russia is pointed at him and all of the hope of the world, the free world, is resting on him. Just as it would in a similar way with Adam. So in a similar way, what Adam did, he did for the whole human race. Paul puts it even more clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 22. He says, For as by a man came death... By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The second doctrine that we need to understand from these verses is the doctrine of original sin. So it's not just 
that Adam represented us in the fall. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I live like to carry out the example. Well, I'm guilty because I live in Russia. It's not just that we're guilty because of who our daddy was. But it is also we're also guilty because as a result of Adam's sin, we carry the corruption and guilt of that sin in some way. There is one clear way that Paul gives in how we can know this is true. We can know it's true that we bear the guilt of Adam because we all die. Paul connects sin and death so tightly here that to have one is to have the other. So sin and death entered the world through Adam, and through Adam, everyone sins and everyone dies. This is why it is not enough for you to reform your ways. It is not enough that you say, you know, no, you know what, I hear the Ten Commandments now, I'm going to live obedient to them, I'm going to be good. And it's not enough for you to say, look, I've lived a perfectly righteous life because it doesn't matter, you are in Adam. You are guilty by association and you are guilty by the inheritance of his sinful nature. But take heart. Because the good news in this doctrine of federal headship is that if one man can bring death, one man can also bring life. If one man, through one man, uh, the whole world can be brought into sin, through one man, the whole world can be brought into righteousness. And that brings me to the second point. The differences in the trespass and the gift from verses 15 through 21. So first of all, notice Paul's last statement in verse 14. Paul says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Now this word type, or in the Greek typos, means a dye or a mold. So, you know, you you hear people say, boy, you are made in the mold of your daddy, or... If you're very different than your family, you can say he broke the mold, right? He, he wasn't like his family in, an, in a sense. But the idea of being a type is that there's this pattern that Adam set forward. And Paul is saying here that there is one who would come after Adam who would be in the pattern of Adam. Or if you will, he would be a second Adam. Now we know who this second Adam is. It's Jesus Christ. Just as God stooped down and formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, so too God stooped down to form Jesus out of the womb of Mary. Just as God commanded Adam to seek wisdom from God and not from the tree, so Jesus was born under the law to live in full obedience to God. And just as Adam was made the king over all of creation, so too Jesus came as the Messiah who would rule over all things. So let's consider the differences between the works of Adam and the works of Jesus. Paul says that Adam's work can be summarized by one word, trespass. Now, we know at core, and Brother John Girdley talked about this during our revival, we kind of know at our core what that word trespass means because in Alabama we take trespassing very seriously right 
You see signs all over the place. No trespassing. And what that means is, do not cross this line. And that's exactly what that word there in, in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 5 means. When it says that Adam trespassed. He crossed a line that he should not have crossed. So all of Adam's works are summarized by the word trespass. And all of Jesus' work is summarized by the word free gift. So Paul gives us three things that these works do. First, in verse 15, we find that Adam's trespass caused many to die, but Jesus' grace extended a free gift to many. So through Adam's work, death extended to all men. And through Jesus' work, a free gift, the grace of God, extended to all men. All right? And then secondly, in verse 16, Adam's trespass brought condemnation, but Jesus' gift brought justification. So through Adam, all are condemned. We are all under judgment. So think about Jesus' words in John chapter 3, verse 18. We tend to focus on John 3, 16. But John 3, 18 says that uh, for all who believed... Um, they received eternal life, but to those who do not believe, they are condemned already. Why are they condemned already? Because they're in Adam. They are under condemnation in Adam. But in Jesus, they receive justification, or they're declared to be right according to God's legal decree. And lastly, in verse 17, Adam's trespass meant that death would reign, but Jesus' gift means that life will reign. So we can understand how this is possible by understanding what the free gift of Jesus is. And we find that in verse 17. Paul calls it the free gift of righteousness. So what Jesus gives us through his grace is that he gives us his righteousness. So we are no longer judged by what we have done. We're no longer judged by what Adam has done. We are judged by what Jesus has done. So Jesus came as the second Adam. Where Adam failed to rule over God's creation, Jesus brought the word of God to a dark world. Where Adam failed to rely on God's, word, uh, God's wisdom, Jesus would answer the temptations of Satan with the word of God. Where Adam was cursed because of his sin, Jesus, the righteous one, became a curse for us. So Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is why federal headship matters. And hear the good news in this, brothers and sisters. Hear this. If one man can condemn the whole human race through his one sin, then one man can save all who believe in him through his life of righteousness. If Adam can make it to where you are cursed, you are under the curse of sin, you are under the condemnation of Adam, you are uh, by your own nature a child of wrath, if that is your condition in Adam, then the good news of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, you are now like Jesus. 
You are now identified with Jesus. And so whoever Jesus is, that's who you are. That is the good news of the gospel. That is why the gospel works. Not because we somehow do something in our trusting in Jesus that God now finds acceptable, but because He finds His Son acceptable and we are in His Son. Okay? So friend, sin is not something that you overcome with a self-help book or a 12-step, a 12-step program. Sin is a corruption that is buried deep in your soul. And someone else must overcome it for you. The good news is that Jesus has overcome sin and death by dying and rising again. So won't you trust in Him today and be saved? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is our federal head. And that is a beautiful thing because it means that as He is, so will we be. It means that this world may be full of trouble, But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. It means that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Death no longer has a claim on us. We may struggle and wrestle in this life. We may struggle with temptation and sin. We may struggle with ailment and pain. We may struggle with persecution and nakedness and sword, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has had the victory over sin and death. And because we are identified with Him, we will And so it means that we are called to live in faithfulness to our federal head. Just as we might be inspired by a great leader who would inspire us to give up our own personal interest and go and fight for a victory, so too we have been inspired through God's Holy Spirit to go and to work for God's purposes in this world. And because Jesus is our King, We want to walk after Him. It's not just that we are identified with Jesus, but we now identify ourselves with Jesus. And we want to live after Him. We are called to a pattern of life that is living after Jesus, seeking holiness in Him, and loving Him as He has loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our federal head, Jesus Christ, who is our king. He is not just a good teacher. He is not just a sacrifice, but he is the Lord of all who believe in him. And he is the Lord ultimately over all things. So, Father, I pray that we would live for him as he has died and risen for us. Pray that you would bless us now as we respond. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.